I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Tuesday, June 14th. I'm Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, a digital look at privacy in a post-Roe world. Then, how one group is working to combat gun violence in Jackson. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Last week on Mississippi Edition, we heard the story of Latisse Fisher, a Mississippi woman who in 2017 was charged with the murder of her stillborn daughter. Her case highlights increased threats to privacy in a digital world. Those threats will become particularly acute if the Supreme Court overturns Roe v. Wade. That's according to Dina Temple Raston, who hosts the Click Here podcast and who reported last week's piece. She tells us more about what she's discovered. Well, so everyone is wondering this post-Roe world, which is where we think we're going to end up. We haven't got the decision yet from the Supreme Court, whether or not uh, digital data is going to end up being something that uh, can can target people. And so we set out to basically in the Click Here podcast quantify that. How much can you really discover by tracking somebody digitally? And is it just a hypothetical or is it something that we really need to worry about? And the short answer is that it's not a hypothetical. In 2017, there was, uh, as you mentioned, a woman from Starkville, Mississippi, who had this stillbirth of a child and paramedics came and they thought it looked suspicious. And then a year later, she was arrested for the murder of that child, largely on the back of two things, a super unscientific test called the float test. And the searches on her phone. At some point during her pregnancy, she had searched for pills that would induce a miscarriage. And there was no sign that she had bought any or no sign that she had taken any. But even so, that was enough to bring charges against her. The case was eventually dismissed, but it, it certainly is a cautionary tale about how your digital searches can come back to haunt you. Were you able to yeah. speak with her? We weren't able to speak with Latisse, but there was a, a, a reproduction rights uh, advocate named Lori Bertram Roberts, who uh, runs something called the Yellowhammer Fund. She had actually helped Latisse real time, talked to Latisse, and Latisse gave her permission to tell her story to us. And what did Bertram Roberts share with you? Well, I mean, it was uh, it was clearly a very harrowing thing, right? For for. 
Uh, Latisse Fisher was actually, um, I think there are certain assumptions that people made about her, that she must be, you know, an unwed mother or, you know, was unemployed or all these other sort of stereotypes that people threw on her. In fact, she was a professional. She had been a police dispatcher. She already had three children. And those were the sorts of details that Bertram Roberts helped us with. And she also made really clear. So the, I, I said earlier that there were two things that they used to, as evidence against uh, Latisse Fisher. One was this thing called a float test, which is uh, a very old-fashioned test that basically what they do is they take uh, a little piece of tissue of uh, the fetus or the baby and, and put it in water. And allegedly, if it floats, it means uh, the fetus or the baby took a breath. And if it sinks... They didn't, so it was stillborn, right? But it's completely unscientific. And if it sounds sort of familiar, you remember there was the witch test, right, which came out around the same time, which is basically they'd tie up somebody they suspected was a witch, and if they sank to the bottom of the pond, oops, they're human, and if they floated, then, hey, they're a witch. What did Bertrand Roberts have to say about this, this test? What did well, you think? Well, she said that, in fact, it was one of the really dispositive things that ended up dismissing the case. Um, we had talked to the DA. He wouldn't go on the record. But basically, the big piece of information that he didn't necessarily understand when all the, the charges were brought was that the flow test was this completely unscientific test from the 1600s and that it's been uh, often used as one of the things to prosecute people in stillbirth cases when they have a home birth. Uh, Lori Bertram Roberts, of course, one of the things she does is she's a doula. So she had seen this test many times trying to be used to bring charges. So she went to the, she told us she went to the DA and the DA confirmed this and said, look, this float test that's allegedly the evidence that the grand jury found uh, important in this case is complete nonsense. This literally from the 1600s is an invalid, non-scientific test. It's one of the things that's used to prosecute people in stillbirth cases for home birth. So it's one of the things that if you're in the birth justice community, you know. Some might find that very frightening. Not only that, but that investigators were able to use her phone. Exactly. I mean, that's the that was actually the thing that we wanted to explore when we um, did the Click Here podcast episode on this, is that we really wanted to focus on, you know, we've heard a lot about uh, digital trails and, you know, if you have things on your phone, whether people can follow you and, and figure out where you are. And it turns out they can. There's a particular data broker called Pacer AI. And Pacer AI actually allows you to sort of geolocate where people are and to ba basically put pattern data on top of that. So basically data about from very, uh, from lots of different sources and package them together. And uh, we talked to a researcher named Zach Edwards and Zach Edwards had actually worked out that particularly in rural areas, you can actually type in uh, Planned Parenthood into the search engine of Pacer AI, the same way you would do in Google. It'll pop up all the clinics on the map. It looks like a Google map. And then you can sort of do more fine searches to basically pinpoint not only somebody who was there, but all the way back to their house or maybe one house in th uh, on a small street, for example. It's hard to do in New York because everybody's living on top of each other. But if you're doing it in a rural area, you could figure out where someone lives. Then you take a little more data, say demographic data, and figure out, hmm, isn't that interesting? I think there's a professional doctor who lives there, which might imply that the doctor may be going to Planned Parenthood to actually perform 
abortions. Or, hmm, there's a woman of childbearing age who lives there, which suggests that maybe she was the person who went there. And that in itself self is kind of creepy. But in addition to that creepy aspect of it is a lot of states are going to be uh, putting in place uh, – abortion laws that are very draconian. And in Texas, there's actually almost like a bounty system that you you turn in someone who is either performing abortions or um, is helping someone get one. And, you know, you can get $10,000 for doing that. So imagine you spend $1.50 on, with one of these data brokers, get all this data, and then you become sort of, you know, an abortion bounty hunter. What was his take on this telephone that we carry around? Well, actually, we have him talking about that, and and he talks about you know what a snitch it is, what a snitch a phone can be. Here, let's listen to him talk about it. Every app that you download, the permissions that you give that app, all of the other companies that are integrated into that app also get those same permissions, and and that's where the trust fall happens. We don't even know we're giving them that permission. That's part of the problem. We also talked to another woman named uh, Raven Fugit, and she's in Tennessee. And uh, Raven used to have all these different apps on her phone, right? I, we all have them. We, you know, a runner's app, a Garmin fitness app, an Apple app, you know, all these. Uh, and, and there are also these apps that you can put on your phone that uh, you can track your ovulation, right? So it's one way to one form of birth control. Uh, potentially, is if you know exactly when you're ovulating, you could also potentially just track your menstrual cycle to know, you know, where you are in your cycle, right? So she was doing all these things. But what she's concerned about, and it's given the stories we've just told, it's a very real concern. What she was concerned about is if, say, for example, she suddenly stopped having her period and it it turns out that she didn't want to have this particular pregnancy, whether or not that kind of information could be uncovered and handed to other people. As soon as I got wind of the potential overturn, I deleted the data and deleted the apps to try and make sure that none of my information was there because the fear of someone trying to see that data and use it against me somehow is not something that I'm interested in. And again, you know, it's not hypothetical. This actually happened. A um, Catholic news service uh, a year or so ago actually did uh, a search of a particular priest. They found him on uh, one of those dating apps uh, for for gay uh, individuals, and they outed him. So this data is very, very uh, dangerous in the wrong hands. And all of this is so convenient for us, right? Ask uh, Google Maps to help us get to a particular place and Google Maps knows where you are. But in a post-row world, a lot of things, the, the way you look at that should change. What can people do? Do you have any advice on how you can avoid being traced so easily without your knowledge? Yes. You know, it's it's interesting. One of the things you can do is delete your apps, but that isn't quite enough. There are handbooks online that if you basically sort of look up delete my digital trail or uh, lots of places like Planned Parenthood have added sort of handbooks to let you know, say, for example, leave your phone at home if you're going, uh, that sort of thing. But, it, you know, until there's some sort of privacy law, 
this is going to be uh, pretty hard to do on your own. And just recently, Congress released a bipartisan draft bill. They're calling it the American Data Privacy and Protection Act. And it would basically provide a national standard on what data companies can gather from people and the way they can use it. Right now, American data is basically protected in places, you know, patchwork of state and sector-specific privacy laws. Like, you know, a lot of your health information can't be readily released. But uh, this particular law that they're talking about, again, it's bipartisan, so maybe it'll actually happen, would be more holistic and limit these various kinds of collection. But And this would be sort of the closest we've gotten to some sort of data privacy law here in the United States since 2019. So it's amazing that at this point we really don't have a law in place to protect people's personal information. It sort of depends where you live, right? So California has more stringent uh, regulations, sort of in the same way. You know how there are some states that are two-party taping states and some are one-party taping states? So if you're going to record someone, yes. So I I would say it's sort of um, the uh, data privacy equivalent of that. Is there anything that I didn't ask you that's important about this issue and what you found out? No, I I don't think so. I guess the only thing that I would add, just to put this in context for what we're doing, the Click Here podcast is specifically we started it, and it comes out once a week on Tuesdays. Uh, We started it so that we can start to educate people about cyber and intelligence, right? And these sorts of things, not necessarily just apps, but just how do you prevent yourself from being hacked? Um, what sort of things uh, do you prevent yourself from clicking on, which is the ironic name of the podcast? What sort of things do you prevent yourself from clicking on so that you don't become a victim? And this is just part and parcel of that broader idea of um, you know our digital age and how we need to be a little bit more careful about it, I guess, at this point, just because it's gotten so sophisticated than we may have been even two years ago. Dina Temple-Raston, executive producer and host of the podcast Click Here. Thank you for taking the time to share with us this vital information about what may happen if Roe is overturned. And even if it isn't, these issues are something that really need to be addressed. They certainly do. Thank you so much for having us. We really appreciate it. Coming up, how one group is working to combat gun violence in Jackson. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. School's out in Mississippi, and the weather is absolutely scorching. Into the upper 90s today with the heat index above 100 degrees. Boredom and heat are a deadly combination. If history is any indicator, gun violence has traditionally spiked in the summer months. That was especially true last year when homicides in the capital city hit a record high. Gina Womack is working to reverse that trend. He's part of Operation Good, a group of violence interrupters in South Jackson. One of the methods uh, that we do is meet the people where they are, you know, uh, and go to where they are and try to get the understanding over various conflicts so that we can come up with uh, sensible solutions to resolve the 
I guess you could say we call it beef reserve, the issues that are going on. And uh, when we do it, we learn a lot of times that the majority of the problem with the virus that was going on was people didn't have no conflict resolution. They often turn to a thing instead of trying to sit down like gentlemen, a man and a woman, and get the understanding and and realize that, you know, it, it's, you know, a it's not the, the best outcome. Your group, is it comprised of men who were formerly incarcerated and have turned their lives around? Uh, yes, ma'am. Your background, having been in trouble and gotten into situations, has that been a positive in talking to young people? Absolutely. Uh, you know, we have guys who, you know, have done 15 years, 10 years. We have guys that have done, you know, numerous amount of time. And each one has their own different experience. And so... uh they are able, we're able to, when we talk with the, the, the people, give them an insight on where they hit it and, and what's to be expected. So, and then also, you know, uh, a lot of people, the majority of the people that we work with, they did not have the opportunity that we're trying to present to uh, our people in our area. Uh, and that is some knowledge and wisdom in reference to the things that they do. Uh, so, so with the experience that everyone have had, it gives a different outlook on how to, to the people that we work with on, on what road they are headed down. What is it that you say to young men that captures their attention, or? Teenagers, twelve, thirteen, fourteen. Well, uh, <laughs> so a lot of times, you know, when when there's a beef situation going on, and twelve, thirteen year old and kill another thirteen year old, uh, we get both parties. I get both parties together, uh, and and we'll have conversation. I'll let them know the outcomes of their action, regardless of how angry they is, what the situation may be. Uh, I, I will let them know that, you know, boom, once you take this gun and you shoot him, kill him, both of y'all just lost. Now, only both of y'all lost, your family lost. One thing about our generation, these generation right now, the one thing they hate is for somebody to get out on them, as they refer and what that means, try to play them. And and I let it, let them know that by them killing one another, you just got played because you didn't make the gun. Whoever made the gun, they going to profit, right? Whoever sold you the bullets for that gun, they going to profit. When you kill this man, the funeral home is going to profit because they have to bury him, right? The the jail system, the penitentiary system, they don't profit because they're going to house you. You're going to be one of their products, right? So at the end of the day, you just got out of them. You know what I'm saying? You just got played because you couldn't pull this truth, right? And so they think about that and they like, 
ain't trying to help nobody else win, and they sometimes walk away from the situation. You know, we we kind of give them uh, a lot of understanding of the beef they may be in, and once we break it down, it's over twenty, thirty, fifty, a hundred dollars, right? Or uh, over a female, you know. And then and we'll just let them know, you know, you could kill him because of that woman. He gonna be dead, you gonna be in prison, and she's gonna move on to somebody else. So you still lost, you know. And then you know it make them think, it makes them be cognitive of their actions. Do you think being a earlier, man conflict helps? resolution is very minimal? Um, does being a man make a difference? Do a lot of these? Um, teenagers, young men have a male role model in their lives. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and once again, by God, Grace, he, he allowed us to be here to for this opportunity because uh, from our background, the youngsters kind of have a little respect for us. And then uh, a lot of the youngsters do not have that male role model in their life. So once it is instituted into their life, they tend to conform to that that male role model and be a little more disciplined and obedient, and which is something they never had, right? Because they probably grew up in a single mother home, and so once they get, once they be under that umbrella, under that prison, they, you know, they at the end of the day, they're still children. You know, people tend to forget that. You know, we know they walk around with guns and they're shooting kids, rob, but they kids, right? If you uh, come to them, them same killer, robber life and start treating them as a child that they are, they tend to revert back to their, uh, you know, normal state. And and, and that, that's been very beneficial because a lot of these young men, a lot of these young men, that's, the main thing they're looking for that that model that that male model in their life to to uh, steer them in the right direction to show them that you got boundaries you have boundaries there is discipline you know you cannot just go out here wild and now you know when you when they see that they feel loved at that point and a lot of people don't realize that the majority of the problem is that the lack of love. There is no love. So when they see us taking out the time of our days, nights, and whatever to ensure that they are saved, ensure that they are doing something positive and productive and, 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 and trying to teach them uh, various things about life, they realize that, you know, I think these guys really love me. You know what? Don't guys really love me. And when they feel that love, they tend to shy away from other activities. Well, Gina Womack with Operation Good, thank you so much for taking time to speak with us about the program and what you're doing to help young people move forward and turn their lives around before they get into more serious trouble or end up the victim of violence. Yes, ma'am. 
This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Stick around for a full morning of Mississippi Radio. Coming up at 9, it's Money Talks. Then at 10, it's in legal terms. And at 11, don't miss Southern Remedy. You can find past installments of this and other Think Radio shows online at mpbonline.org. I'm Desiree Frazier. Join us tomorrow morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi edition only on MPB Think Radio. Try and stay cool and safe.